0: Today's title is, Does God Love Me When I Sin? If you uh, did not hear last Sunday's message, that would be the foundation to this message. You know, so many people who don't want to go to church don't want to go almost because it's fear-based. They're afraid. And part of that fear comes from, you know, because they they feel like they can't live up to the standard, or they are living in sin, or have sin in their life, and so they just feel like they wouldn't be welcome to come to church, and some churches, you know, unfortunately, uh, personify that, they make people who are living in sin, you know, like, I saw you last night, uh-huh, hmm I'm glad you saw me, but anyway, uh, this is a problem, more people are conscious about their sin than they are of what Jesus has done for them. I'm going to say that again. More people, it just seems like a lot of people, Christians, are more conscious of their sin and if people's sin than what Jesus has done for the death, burial, and the resurrection, the cross. Well, they really think that God doesn't love them or that God doesn't accept them and so therefore they're not welcome. Well, after today's message, you're going to know that God wants you to know that you're loved no matter what, that you're accepted no matter what, and that you're welcome no matter what. And uh, I I do know this, that when your identity, listen to this, this we're going to start running. When your identity rests on anything or anyone besides the Lord Jesus Christ, Your mind is going to just gravitate to the old man, the old way of doing things. I'm going to say it again. If your identity, who you really are, is on any one or anything besides the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to just gravitate to living the old way, living the old sinful way, living the way that God doesn't have for you to live. It's because you don't know who you are. I was talking to Chris this morning and we were talking, I don't know how we get on the subject of age, but t- this year I'm going to turn 60. I know I don't look anything close to that, but I mean, I'm going to be. Yeah, yeah, testing, one, two. Don't get that new mic, I, I want it to be a little fuzzy, but anyway, um, I'm going to turn 60. And I just said, you know, when I look in a mirror, my my mind says, man, you're you're like 35. (laughs) (laughs) We're having fun now. But anyway, but, you know, I look at that picture. I go, that's really not me. But, you know, and the Lord says that's the way you need to look in the mirror when it comes to the real you. You need to see Jesus when you look in the mirror. I said, you need to look in the mirror and see Jesus and not see, oh, there's that old sinner. Oh, there's that person who did this and that person and there's that. No, you need to see Jesus. You do. You really do. Because I'm telling you, the devil is doing the same thing he did to Adam, that he did to Adam and Eve. He's doing the exact same thing and the church has fallen for it. They really have. I fell for it. You know what the original, don't say it, but do you know what the original sin was? Most people say, yeah, that Adam and Eve, they were disobeyed and that was they did this and they did. You know what the original sin was? This is the original sin. Are you ready for this? This is a rockier world. We're just going to, you know, I thought about, you know, two weeks ago, I talked about the flip side of abortion, and last week, First John 1, 9, and I just thought, this week, I thought, man, maybe I should let off on the accelerator just a little bit. I mean, it's just like, bam, bam, bam. And then I went to Kentucky, I go, nope, we're flooring this thing. But anyway, um, this is the original sin. The original sin is that Adam and Eve believed that they were not like God. Same response in the first service. They believed they were not like God. Let me ask you this. Were they like God? Absolutely. They were over everything on this planet. They had authority over everything on this planet. They were in charge of everything on this planet. They were like God, created in his 100% image. They were like God. So Satan comes along and he goes, now if you really want to be like God, you need to eat this fruit. And so they believed the lie that they weren't like God. And they believed, listen to me, they had to eat the fruit to become like God. The devil still does the same thing today. You need to do something to become something. Well, I don't think he heard that. You need to do something to become something. If you want to be holy, if you want to be righteous, if you want to be this, you gotta, you got to do something to become that. If you're born again a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are that. You are everything that God says about you. Not because you try to, to do better or not because I've got to be better. It's just because that's the way he made you when you were born again, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. So. Righteousness is really... I've come to this conclusion. It's really something that you and I have to surrender to. You have to surrender to it. In other words, I i remember I, I was raised in church and we sang that song, I Surrender All. Anybody else hear that? I surrender all. I surrender I'm telling you, I wanted to be a singer, but God made me a preacher, but anyway. <laughs> and everybody in my family says, thank God he was a lot smarter than... Anyway... And I used to think you have to surrender to God. You know, I hear that song, I've got to really surrender I just, all the stuff I need to surrender if I want to be successful. If I want to do anything, i just got to surrender to God. And I'm coming to the conclusion, God says, you're surrendering the wrong thing. What you need to surrender to is everything that God has made you and what he thinks about you. You have, and what he knows about you, has spoken over you and made you. You have to surrender to that. Because your brain goes, I'm not that. If I said to you, you're holy. You're righteous. Your brain goes, he obviously doesn't know me. Or what I did yesterday. Or this morning, even worse. You don't know what I did. Don't have to know what you did. I just have to know what he has done for you. If you and I know what he's done for you, then he says, you're righteous. You're holy, Mike. You're holy, Mike. You're righteous, Mike. I think nothing but good thoughts to you. I, you are awesome, Mike. You're the, Guess what? Your brain now, by faith, you have to surrender to that. It takes a surrender to think that way. For you to think that I'm righteous, I'm holy, your brain goes, hey, he did not know what he's talking about. You have to surrender to those thoughts. Surrender to Jesus. That's who grace is, by the way. You surrender to righteousness. You surrender to grace. Whose grace? It's Jesus. So you surrender to him, and Jesus says this about you and me. You're righteous. You surrender to that. He wants you to know this. You surrender to that. You will always be loved. You will always be accepted, and you will always be welcomed. That's what God, your Father, thinks about you and says that about you, and is constantly, constantly wanting you to know that. No matter what is going on in your life, you're loved, you're accepted, and you're welcome. Can you surrender to that? Can you surrender to that? That's what God wants you to know. Luke 16, 16. I read this scripture a couple weeks ago, and I've just been thinking. I'm having a hard time just not thinking about it. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, since the time the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. So, this is, they heard, he was saying that the, the good news is preached and everybody's just forcing their way into it. They're beating down the door to get into it. I don't see any church in America or on the planet doing that. Nobody's beating the door down forcing their way into it because of the message that's being preached. Could it be that we're preaching the wrong message? People aren't hearing the good news. The gospel is the good news. I truly believe when the world starts hearing the gospel, which is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, more people will be filling up churches. I believe that with all my heart. I do. I just think that and I've said this a couple of weeks ago. I think the world needs to know what we stand for before they know what we stand against. I believe every business should be like that. Every successful business, they need to know what you stand for. What do you stand for? You know, Apple does not go, well, I just want you to know we're not for anything that's Android. I just want you all to know that. <laughs> we're not for anything else of this. We're Motorola, we don't like Motorola, we're not like Motorola. No, they just say what they are for. I believe you and I need to be more like that. What are we for? God's like that. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know what Jesus was displaying to the world? When you read the Gospels, he was displaying love. He was displaying love. Prostitute, come up to him, your sins are forgiven. Somebody needs to be healed, you're healed. Need to pay your taxes? Got you covered. I thought that was funny. But anyway. It's not funny if you have to tell everybody to laugh. Everybody, one, two, three, laugh. That's so sad. But anyway. He was just love manifested. Manifested. He was showing love manifested. I mean, he was just love on display. That's what I thought. I just wrote that down in my notes. Love being on display. And this is what the Lord spoke to my heart. He says, that's what the church should be doing in America and around the world. They should be love on display. Not judging, not criticizing, not being critical. You know, they're not like this and they're not like this. And you know, these people and those people over there. You know, in that church. No, Jesus wouldn't be like that. In Hosea chapter 3, verse 5, but afterward the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant their king. In the last days, everybody talks about this is the last days. Well, this must be talking, this scripture must be talking about this day. In the last days they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. When I was in church raised up as a kid, we never did tremble about the Lord's goodness. We trembled that he was going to kill us. The ush, back usher was going to slap us or beat us or, or man. Uh, I mean, I've been pulled. I've been scolded by an usher. We call it, you know, you can call them hushers. Yeah, you need to hush. And back in those days, they, they didn't, there was this, you know, Be careful about how or what you do. They just bring you up, slap you upside the head and say, don't you act up again. But you know, you you trembled because of fear. But this scripture says in Hosea that God in the last days is going to cause people to tremble because of his goodness. Can you wrap your mind around that? How good God is and you just go, wow, you tremble because he's so good. Can you tremble? Because, and this is what I feel like the Lord said. He says, when you understand the goodness, it causes you to tremble from sin to respond to his goodness. You just, you just tremble from sin to, you just move because this is so far greater than sin or anything that you think could be pleasurable. The goodness of God far exceeds anything that you could think, dream, or imagine. That's good. I'm telling you, that's good. Well... The church, it just seems like we are more interested in convincing people they're sinners. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I didn't need any convincing. If somebody says, are you living in sin? I didn't need, well, now if it was my mother, it would be a different story. But I mean, just a stranger. (laughs) A stranger, you would just go, no, uh, I I don't need any convincing that I was a sinner. Most people who are living in sin kind of know it. That's why bank robbers wear a mask. They, there's a reason they don't want you to. They know they're doing wrong or they wouldn't be wearing. Why are you wearing a mask? Oh, I just, it's the new decor. You've been to California. That's what they're, it's in fashion. now. No, they know they're doing wrong. When people know they're doing wrong, they, they're not, they, they don't need to be convinced. Now, there may be a, a handful of people that need that, but it's, it's, it's a small few. It is a small few. I'm amazed that that's what the church is concentrated on, and I believe Jesus is concentrated on in convincing people they're righteous. And so, as a church, I feel like that's what we need to do. I believe that's what Jesus wants us to do. If God really loves me, why can't I keep on sinning then? You know? Well, it's kind of like, you know, you, you, I have children... And grandchildren, but my all of my kids are, are driving now. It's kind of like saying, you know, um, you can text while you drive, but you should not. <laughs> Excuse me. If, you, 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 if you're driving, you shouldn't text. You can. You can do that. But how many know it's just unhealthy? It's not right. Amen. You know, it's like driving drunk. You, you can do that, but, man, you, you'd just be stupid if you did that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't get behind the wheel. And if you're texting, you don't want to do that. Why? You can do that. So it's the same response, you know. If God loves me, why, why can't I just keep sinning? Well, you can. You can. And he will keep loving you. But, man, you just really shouldn't do that. Sin will hurt you. Sin can kill you. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, it says this. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from their sinful nature. Did you get that? He says, if you're living in sin, he says it's going to be harmful to you. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So to me, the dangers of sin are obvious. Sin is its own punisher. It's its own punishment. People think that God will punish you if you sin. He does not may be a rude awakening for some of you, one or two of you, three, four, five, or half of you. I don't know. God does not punish you for your sin. <clears throat> Let's go to this side. God does not punish you for your sin. Okay, we'll go this side since they got it. God does not punish you for your sin. Does God care and know that you sin? Yeah. He doesn't just like a child. You know, When if my child was in an accident while well, they were texting, I don't go up to him and go, you're no longer my son. Why? Well, you text while you were driving. We're done. I'm through. <laughs> that would be about as hilarious and silly the way people think that way about God. But they do think that way about God. They think that way about God, that if you sin, he writes you off, or he loves you less, or you're not accepted. You may be, but, you know, 75%, not the whole 100%. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, "In this freedom Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. Stand fast, then, so, and do not be hampered and held and snared and submit again to a yoke of slavery." which you have once put off. When you got, before you got born again, you were in slavery and bondage to sin. He says, once you got born again, you've been released from all bondage of sin. Every part of sin you've been out of and released from that bondage. Jesus released you from bondage. He did that for you. You could not do that on your own. You could not, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So this is the problem. Most people, even Christians, think that sin is the dominating factor. What God is trying to say to you is that first of all, he has conquered all sin. Jesus has conquered all sin, past, present, and future. All sin has been conquered by Jesus Christ. in His death, burial, and resurrection. All sin, he says, you're dead to it. So what does that mean? So let's just say you have some kind of sin. I'm not going to name one because then if I name it and you have it, you go, oh, my goodness. Anyway, <laughs> let's just say you have a sin, a porn. We'll just pull that one out. And uh, you just say, I'm in bondage to this. This is how you get free from that. First of all, you say, Jesus has freed me from it. You have to have that mentality. And then you say this, this sin that I just did is buried. I'm dead to it. How many know that when somebody's six feet under, they have no authority or power over you? Or, is that a pretty easy illustration? If somebody's six feet under, they have no authority or power over you. So God is saying in this scripture, your sin... Is six feet under. It's been buried and you're dead to it. So that means it has no power or authority over you forever. And if you do it... Okay, what if you do it again tomorrow? Tonight? Next week? Next month? Every day? What are you going to do? Oh, I thought I had the victory. I thought, I thought... No, this is what you do. I do have the victory. Every time... You just keep that in the back of your mind. I have victory over this. I'm dead to it. I have victory. Jesus took it to the grave, and he was resurrected with a new body. I was raised with him. Galatians 2.28, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not I live. It is Christ in me. It is him living in me. So I have victory over that sin. You, have, you just got to keep telling yourself and keep telling yourself and keep telling yourself. I don't care if it's a 100 times. I don't care if it's a 1,000 times. I don't care if it's 10,000 times. You keep telling yourself, I have victory over this. I am dead to it. It is buried. Amen. And one day, something's going to click up in your mind and your heart's going to get connected to that. And you're going to go, whoo, I have victory over this. And you'll never do it again. But this is the thing. That is not the day you get victory over it. Oh. <laughs> you got victory over it the day that you got born again, realizing that Jesus took it to the grave. He defeated it and conquered it for you. That's when your victory is. Not when you defeat it. It's when he defeated it. Amen. Oh, that's so good. It's when he defeated it. That's when you got the victory. You didn't get the victory. Oh, I got the victory, Pastor. Oh, yeah, I did too, 2,000 years ago. That's when I got my victory. That's when you got your victory. That's when you got your victory. Not when you got, oh, I don't do that anymore. Or I just haven't done that. Now. I got victory over that. Well, that's good. That's when you had a revelation of the victory. But the revelation or the victory actually transpired 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Woo. But, Pastor, the title, does God really love me when I sin? I'm glad you ask. <laughs> Romans chapter 5. Verse 8, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place. Now listen to this phrase, while we were still lost and ungodly. And Christians and believers are struggling with the fact, does God still love them? Well, let's back up. First of all, it says... His passionate love for you, he died for you while you were still lost and ungodly and unlovingly and everything. That's how much he loves you. He, he didn't start loving you when you got born again. Are you hearing me? He loved you while you were still. All the people that you know that are not serving God, don't believe in God, agnostic, atheists, and all the above, God loves them. He loves every single one of them. And guess what? Are you ready for this? They're all forgiven. They're forgiven. They just don't know it. They haven't accepted the forgiveness. But as far, God paid the price for them, the whole world, to be forgiven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world. Jesus is not coming back again to die on the cross again. It's a done deal, which means everybody's sin has been taken care of. Now, you don't get the benefit of it if you don't believe that. But everybody's sin has been taken care of. So he says God's passionate love was proven to, to the whole world by dying on the cross. So does God? if God loves people who are lost and living in sin, why would it change when you get born again? Are you kidding me? When you sin after you get born again? And just so we're all in the same boat, on the same cruise. We've all sinned after we got born again? Okay, just making sure. Verse 9 says this, Romans 5, 9. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us unfailing love for us for through the blood of Jesus we have heard the powerful declaration you are now righteous in my sight this is what God is speaking over you and me today and every day of our lives you are righteous in my sight but you've got to surrender to that because your brain goes, I have sinned. I did very bad. I'm doing poorly right here. And God, in the middle of your sin, is declaring that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right in the middle of your filthy, stinking sin. Amen. Woo! And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you were never experienced the wrath of God. People, you know, think, you know, if you have a car accident or if you, if you uh, break something or your refrigerator goes out, oh, you must ascend this week. The wrath of God going to get you. God's going to get you. We, I mean, you, I've heard that phrase when I was growing up. God's going to get you. Guess what? He got me. He got me with his goodness. He got me with his righteousness. He got me with his holiness. He got me with everything that he says he is. He got me. That's how we need to think instead of the church saying, he's going to get you, he's going to break you, he's going to do this, he'll take your child, he'll make you sick, you're going to get the flu, you're going to, and the list goes on and on and on. God says, no, I got you with my goodness. I got you with my righteousness. I got you with my holiness. Stop having that, thinking that God's going to pour out his wrath. He says, you will never, never experience the wrath of God. Not today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, throughout all eternity, you will never experience the wrath of God. So just make it a done deal. Everybody say, that's good news. Verse 10. So, if while we were still enemies, I mean, this is being an enemy of God. He said, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. Holy cow. Melody says, you need to quit saying that because cows aren't holy. I said, you need to go to India. It was a bad joke all right but, but verse 10 t- she didn't laugh either so that's a, I'm used to it you can't offend me but anyway so if while we were still enemies God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son then something greater than friendship is ours something greater than just being a friend what could be greater than being friend with God something far greater is ours not that we Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we will be rescued from sin's dominion? He says you're rescued from sin's dominion. From this point on, sin does not have any dominion over you and me, period. doesn't mean if you're not sinning, it just means it doesn't have dominion over you. But what could be greater than being a friend of God? Being in God's family. God is looking for sons and daughters in relationship. In relationship. Being one. Being one with God. When you get born again, your spirit became one. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Being one with God. Did you know when you got born again from that day throughout all eternity, you're one with him no matter what? That just makes the mind go tilt. Well, pastor, but what happens when I sin? Did you see that he has a passionate love for you before you even gave your life to God? And why do we think that changes after we're born again? That when we sin, he doesn't love us as much? Really? He died for you when you were living in sin. Romans 5.19 says this, For by one man's disobedience, We became sinners, but by one man's obedience, we were made righteous, made righteous. You were made that. You couldn't do anything to become that. You were made that. Just because of Jesus, you were made that way. But guess what? You know, you think, well, it's not really unfair because of what Adam and Eve did. I was made a sinner. I was born into it. As soon as you're born on this planet, you're made that way because of Adam and Eve's sin. But God says when you get born again, you are made righteous. You and I need to surrender to that way of thinking. Surrender to it. I'm holy today. Not based upon what I've done. I'm righteous today. Not based upon what I've done. I'm one with God today. Not based upon what I've done. That is called grace. And grace is not just something, it's someone. It's Jesus. We couldn't get this on our own. We needed a Savior. We needed Jesus. Listen to Romans 5, 9, the message translation. I really like this. It says, now that we are set right with God, everybody set right with God, by means of this sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. Okay, did you hear that? There's no longer question at being at odds with God in any way. He didn't say, unless you sin. Oh, I'm just going to slap the religious mind right out of you. Good. There's no longer question. Well, Pastor, I, I got a question. I don't just don't know if I'm righteous. I just don't know. There's no longer question... Of being at odds with God in any way, shape, or form. Forever. Throughout all eternity, there's no longer a question. You know, people question their salvation. Oh, I can lose my salvation. I may have lost it even. Not only can I, I think I did. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's not funny. But um, (laughs) it is really though. Because you're believing a lie again of what Satan has done. You're believing a lie again. That's just Adam and Eve are walking around like God. If you want to really be like God, though, I know you're kind of like God, but if you really want to be like God, you need to do this. And so we get into our religious mind that if we're really going to be accepted by God, if we're really going to be loved by God, if we're going to be welcomed by God, if we're really going to be like God, people say, well, we can't be like God. Well, then you're not born again because if you're born again, you are, not kind of, you are like God. You're not God. Don't give me, don't put words in my mouth, but the Bible says he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, so you are like God, but we believe the lie of the devil saying you need to do something to become like that. To become righteous, you need to do this. To become holy, you need to do this. And you have to do, and the list goes on, you have to do. And God is saying, you quit trying to do something to become something. Jesus did it all and made you that way. He's made you that way. You see, that causes you and I to not, sin and anything else outside of this world loses its power and authority over you at that point. The shackles just fall off. I said, the shackles just fall off. I don't have to try. I don't have to do this. I'm just resting and surrendering to what Jesus, my Savior, my hero, my Lord, my King has done for me. Everybody say, that's good news. Woo! That is great news. Where do we stop? Oh, he says, no longer have any question at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst... We were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son. Now that we're at our best, you're born again. Just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in applauding prose. We sing and shout our praise to God through Jesus Messiah. So he has an understanding. Woo, I'm born again. I'm righteous. I'm holy. God, oh, man, I'm his favorite. Oh, he just sets me up on high. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. It'll make you sing, honey, even if you can sing. (laughs) I'm not talking about myself. but, But, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about the love chapter. And in verse 8, it says, love never fails, never fades out, becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. Do you realize that it's God speaking to you and me? His love will never fail over you, never fade out or become obsolete to you. It's not based upon what you do or don't do. It's just who he is. And that's how he thinks of you and me. That is how he thinks of you every day of your life. Every day of your life he thinks that way towards you. His love for you will never fade, fail, become obsolete, or come to an end. So, if you read Psalms 136, I didn't give it to him, but write that down. Psalms 136, the New Living Translation. It just constantly, all through the chapter, it says His, his goodness never fails. His goodness, His goodness, His goodness, His goodness, His goodness cannot fail. You see, when we have this kind of mindset... When we have this kind of mindset that the goodness of God cannot fail over my life, you say, why aren't I experiencing it? Because most Christians, most believers are doing this. They put up a wall because they don't feel like they're worthy. They don't feel righteous. They don't feel holy. They don't feel like they can receive something that Jesus has done for them because they're not qualified. And so they put up a barrier. So I'm preaching messages like this so the walls are going to come down. And so goodness, surely goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. All the days of your life. On the good ones, the bad ones, the ugly ones, the bad hair day. The ugly, the fat, the skinny. Every day he's following you, pursuing you to mow you down with his goodness. (laughs) Hallelujah. So have you found a home in God's embrace? He just wants to hug you. He just wants to hug you. We all have a desire of acceptance and love. And God wants you to know that that's what he has for all of us. Acceptance and love. You realize he he doesn't have judgment and condemnation and guilt. All he has for you and me is love and acceptance. That's all he has. That's all he has for us. Colossians 3, 4. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with him in his glory. I used to think this scripture was about when we get to heaven, when Jesus comes back. But it's, I believe it's for today, right now. Listen to me. He says as Christ himself is seen for who he really is. If Christ himself is seen for who he really is, then who you really are will also be revealed. So this is a problem. If you don't know what Christ is like, the real you is not going to be, you won't have a revelation of who you really are. But if you understand and have a revelation of who who Jesus is, when he's revealed, the real you is going to show up. Oh, that's why you look in the mirror and go, "Is Jesus Jesus looking back at me in that mirror. You have to know Jesus. And when he's revealed, and I'm not talking about a religious Jesus that, you know, he's out to get you. He's this, the real Jesus. You know, we should have a show sometime with the real Jesus. Please stand up because he's been uh, lied about and talked about and and said things about. But the real Jesus is one of love and grace and mercy. And when he's revealed in your life and my life, then guess who else is revealed? revealed. You. And the real you won't be revealed until the real Jesus is revealed to you. Did you get that? Man, that's powerful. Listen, Titus 2.11 says this. For the grace of God (coughs) has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What has appeared? The grace of God. Just remember that. What has appeared? The grace of God. Bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. What's he talking about? The grace of God. And then verse 12 is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. People are saying grace is just a license to sin. The Bible says grace has been brought and manifested to train you and me to live holy before God. And so if you're saying grace is just a license to sin, you don't understand the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. It's called grace, and it causes you and me to have victory over everything that's wrong. So then he goes on to say, um, waiting for our, verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What causes all of that to happen? Grace. When grace appeared, this is what is the result. When grace appeared, this is the result. When grace appeared, this is the result. The result is that you have victory over all lawlessness, over all sin, over everything ungodly, when grace appears. The problem with the church is grace has not been manifested in our mind and in our heart to appear to do the things that we're trying to do for so many decades. I got to work harder at getting this. I got to work harder at that. I got to work harder at that. And you're trying to do it in your own strength and you fail miserably every time. I know I got the t shirt to prove it. You know, been there, done that. Got a t shirt. Oh, well. But you fail miserably trying to do it instead of surrendering to grace, to who you really are, to Jesus. When you do that, all of a sudden life gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. God may have me sing in heaven. I don't know. Preach on here. Sing up there. The re- revelation of grace will cause you and I to know that sin has been defeated the revelation of grace will cause you to know that sin is defeated in your life. Period. Grace doesn't enable you to sin. Grace is someone who was released to defeat sin. You know the story of Peter? He's a really energetic, hyper, super intense guy. Jesus, right before he's crucified, he's captured and Peter Tags along from a distance. Then he goes into the courtyard and they start talking. You know, Jesus has been questioned and beaten and everything. And so they start questioning Peter. Hey, you're, you're one of those followers of Jesus, aren't you? Nope, nope, not me. I don't know the man. He did that not once, not twice, three times. He denied of even knowing him did you hear that listen to what matthew chapter 10 verse 33 says whoever denies matthew 10:33 whoever denies me before men him i will also deny before my father who's in heaven that's pretty serious wouldn't you all say that's pretty serious if you deny me i'm going to deny you before my father so here's peter Peter's in the courtyard, he didn't deny him just once. He didn't deny him twice. A follower of Jesus for three years, and he denies. Don't know the man, never had lunch with him. I don't know. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I don't know about you, but if one of my best friends, somebody came to, hey, you, you know Pastor Mike? No, 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 I don't know who that is. You know Pastor and Man found a church? Nope. never heard of it. No, nope, nope. And I go, you're my best friend not just my friend you were my i've been with you for 3 years nope don't know him i probably would have a temptation to go we're not having dinner tomorrow <laughs> but you know what jesus does he gets to, the bible says that he would deny him this is the, after the cross the resurrection this is grace in action this is what jesus does when he's resurrected and the, and the women who followed him come to the, the grave, the stones rolled away and they see an angel in there. And the angel says this to the, to the women. This is what God says. He says, go tell the disciples to meet me. I want to talk to them. And make sure you tell Peter. <laughs> oh, that just, it just makes me so bubbly inside. Because I felt like Peter before. i didn't denied him in so many ways. You know? I didn't do right in so many ways. And, and, and so Peter was the one who, who felt like he, there's no hope for me. I denied the man three times. The Savior of the world, I denied him. He's going to deny me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. He says, hey, tell the disciples to meet me. And make sure you tell Peter. Tell them I said, Peter, be there. <laughs> That's so good. That's grace. It's the love of God. Peter shows up and I'm sure he thinks that I'll show up for the meeting but you know maybe I should sit at the back and stand up against the wall <laughs> you know don't know for sure if I'm really welcome this is what Jesus does he wants you to know in the midst of your denial of the midst of your pigsty in the midst of everything that's going on in your life you are loved you are welcome and you are accepted did you get that? If you don't get anything out of this message, those three things, you will always be loved, you will always be accepted, and you will always be welcomed by your heavenly Father, no matter what. If he did that for Peter, who denied him three times, it's just a, a, an illustrative sermon to show you this is the love of God in action, and this is how he feels about everybody, including you, no matter what's going on in your life.